Okay, so true story. There was a short time where for, uh, I don't know, about a couple of years uh, before I joined the Army, I was a rapper of sorts. <laughs> now, mostly I was hanging around with a couple of friends, one of whom was a really good rapper and one of whom is a really good producer, uh, was, is, uh, however you want to consider it. And, um, you know, every every young black man who, who's ever really gotten into hip-hop always, you know, nurses at the back of his mind this, this fantasy of, uh, of doing it for fun or, or professionally or whatever. Kind of like, uh, you know, if you really love basketball, whenever you're out there hooping it up, you always think of, uh, you know, being being in the NBA. So at any rate, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I, uh, I used to do that. It was a lot of fun. And uh, lately I've been in pretty close contact with, uh, with my rapper friend and my producer friend, and uh, we've been doing it a little more. So... Um, all this is to say uh, that Kiba, <laughs> you, this podcast is just getting on the internet, even though we recorded the interview uh, about a week and a half ago, because I've been rapping into my microphone instead of recording uh, our podcast stuff. So uh, listen up at the end of the show if you stick around along and you can hear an old, um, an old sample of, of myself and my very good uh, rapper friend. Um, uh, you know, doing what we did. Uh, so that's why this episode is wearing the explicit tag, uh, uh, because there's there's a few curse words here and there. I think in the uh, in the little rap. So there you have it. Let's get into the show. Hey, it's in a book. Welcome back. I am Lawrence Rouse, your host. I am in Raleigh, North Carolina, and you are listening to the first December episode of It's in a Book. And uh, I am presently sitting upstairs holding my beautiful baby girl, Catherine, who is enjoying her first bottle of the morning. Now, we have a wonderful episode in store for you. I was lucky enough uh, last weekend, I believe it was, maybe it was the weekend before last, whenever Thanksgiving was, um, my eldest brother, his name is Kiba Baldwin, came over and uh, enjoyed our, our Thanksgiving celebration uh, together, we did. And he was kind enough to head down to Starbucks with me and do an interview for the podcast. And I think you're really going to love it. He is a wonderful guy and he is so passionate about his job uh, which involves children and of course anything which involves children should and uh, in his case does involve reading so we talked all about that uh, we talked about some of the things that he has read and, and that he likes to read and uh, and it was just a wonderful time so we will uh, listen to that interview coming up in just a bit here and as far as our book we will be exploring a wonderful john updike title i don't think it's one of his more famous titles but it's a book i really love i really love the opening of it uh, especially uh, where he pulls this little literary trick whereby he is writing uh, in the character's point of view in the first person but he kind of switches back and forth between the first and the third person. It's really a, a wonderful little literary device. I think uh, many authors employ it or have employed it over the years, but Updike does so wonderfully, and, uh, and hopefully you'll catch it as, uh, as I read it there just for a few minutes uh, in this episode. So uh, we will get into all of that after the break, uh, probably when Catherine is done with this bottle, which uh, which doesn't look like it's going to take long. So, uh, it's in a book. Thanks for coming back to see what it is this fortnight. See you after the break. All right, so we are sitting, we, meaning myself, and my oldest brother, Kiba Baldwin, um, mm. in Starbucks coffee shop on Glenwood Avenue, I guess at the intersection of Glenwood Avenue and T Street here in Raleigh. He has me out in somewhere land. <laughs> and Kiba, 
being in town for the Thanksgiving holiday has agreed to do an interview for my podcast. Um, Kiba, live in Raleigh. How long did you live here, man? Uh, what? Maybe two years? Two years, yeah. yeah. So you're not a Raleigh resident right now, but no. you, you lived here in the past. and most a lot of places in the past. Yeah, yeah. And you're in Raleigh right now. That's the, that's the most important thing. Yes. So, um, okay, so uh, I gave you a little preview of the five questions I'll be asking you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now... I'm sure you've heard the podcast before because we've talked about it. The surprise question is always, uh, <laughs> tell me a little bit about yourself. Did you, was that at the back of your mind? Did you know that was coming? Probably, but it didn't phase until just then. <laughs> right, right. It's funny. I listened to pop Even podcasts. when people know it's coming, it, that's always a surprise question. So um, we'll go ahead and get started with that. Just tell me uh, whatever you want to tell, you know, the World Wide Web about yourself. Keep it oh. in mind, you know, once it's out there, it's there forever. Yeah, it's out there, right? Right, right. Oh, okay. So, go for it. All right, so I was born in Columbus County, yes, North Carolina, Whiteville, North Carolina. Sort of. Sort of, yeah. Were you, were you By born way. in yeah, I was Whiteville born, Hospital? Yeah, Columbus okay. County, okay. yeah. Yes, um, literally. I have lived, let's see, in Whiteville, Fayetteville, Raleigh, Jacksonville, Durham, and now Elizabeth City. Right, right, Six all over places. the states. Huh? Yeah, all over. Yeah, never the western part. Always the the eastern, southeastern part of the right, state. So, right. Um, as much as you do love the western part, right? The mountains. I, I mean, do. I do. I love the mountains. Love going. Um, so, graduate of Federal State University. Go Broncos. Go Broncos. Be a Bronco till I die. <laughs> Good. Yes. Um, I love education. It's probably where I may retire, um, but definitely working with students, working with teachers now right. is a new thing. It's a passion. It's not just a job for me. Um, I have two beautiful young men now. Right, right. Josh, 18, who is a, he's trying to be a Morehouse man. <laughs> Jalen, who's More 13, yeah, who's an eighth grader, just trying to be a man <laughs> in general, <laughs> right, in a right. sense. Now tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about more about education. Like, tell, tell yep. us about your, your current jobs. So right now, um, I am an assistant principal mm-hmm. for two elementary schools. Prior to that, I worked as a student services director for for eight years. Um, yeah, I've, which I've been I've worked in the central office. Right. So I've had close knit ties with the superintendent, assistant superintendent been able to write grants, pull in some programs, get some money, right. you know, to work with student support. And when I say student support, I'm talking about um, counseling services, mm-hmm. um, there's physical education, health education, driver's ed, dropout prevention. Right. So wow. a lot of social emotional pieces I've had a, a, a great impact over the past eight years. And this past fall, or this past spring, mm-hmm. my superintendent asked to ask me to um, take over a school, right? Um, which was very interesting. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. And an now, elementary school. Take to take over a school. I mean, as as the principal. As the principal. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. Until the end of the year, until they found someone. Right. And it being an elementary school, and I did not have elementary experience with something, but <laughs> you know, we had a great staff that turned it around, and we had a great time. I had a blast. Right. Understanding right. elementary kids is a new one for me. And I bet. I these bet. babies don't have any bad days. Yeah. You know, they don't have any bad days. They are adorable. I want to take all of them home with me. Right. And um, so she asked me if I wanted to be in the building, you know, and I'm thinking like, yes, I will, because for one, as I try to gain my experience to get to my ultimate role, um, or ultimate position in education, mm-hmm. I need school experience, and that's the one thing I didn't already have. Right, right. So I am now, hopefully for the next, at least for the next four or five years, I plan to work in the schools as an administrator and try to gain some some experience at the different levels. Right. I'm, I'm really enjoying the elementary right now because there's so much to it. Um, where I thought it was just, you know, you're teaching them A's, ABCs, one, two, threes, and you hug them, right. and you love them. Right. There's a whole lot more. Yeah, I mean, you're it's teaching very, them life, I imagine. Yeah, it's very complex. Um, 
very complex, and you you almost it's almost teaching two schools in one because right. you have to work at a K two level, and then you work at a three five level, and those are grades, and and it's apples and oranges right. with the two. So learning how that um, how that works, and then you still have to deal with the adults in the building. <laughs> um, right, we can be kids too. True, true. <laughs> so you know, it's it's all about finding one vision. I tell folks all the time, you know, one vision, one voice, one focus. Mm-hmm. You know, and if we can strive for that, and we can, we can, we're gonna do greatness. We're gonna be great. Right. And, and if we're great, then our kids are gonna be superior because you know everybody's working together to make our kids successful for that next level. So, right. Um, right. Yeah. Don't get me started because I could talk about that all day. <laughs> um, but well, I mean, that's uh, that's kind of the goal. Yeah. You started. So. And and now you know we've hit a pinnacle with 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 me because Jalen has come to live with me full time. Right. And so now I'm really right. playing the role of single dad. Um, still raising my 18 year old who's in Atlanta. Right. Um, trying to guide his steps and definitely with Jalen, you know, my schedule, you know. All of my spending habits have changed. The schedule has changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, it's a whole new ball game. I'm it's a sure. whole new game, but I love it. Right. I, I wouldn't trade it now for anything, and I don't think Jalen would trade it now for anything. So yeah. we're having a good time. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, that, that makes me happy, man. Yeah. You guys both look super happy whenever, <laughs> uh, whenever I have the, the wonderful occasion to see you together. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, we enjoy coming to Raleigh and seeing his uncle Tiger. <laughs> And hanging out with Holden and now Cat, so we we just have to do more of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, here, here. <laughs> All right, well, uh, that's uh, we'll we'll cut it off there, man, and we'll we'll get right into the interview. Uh, um, like I said, I already told you the five questions I'll be asking you. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna kind of pop over here to uh, to my list of questions mm-hmm. uh, as we talk and take a take a look at them. Lord knows why I have to do that since I've asked him so many times Make now, you nervous, don't I? Yeah, maybe yeah, so. Maybe so. So well-spoken. So yeah. yeah. I don't want to make any mistakes. So, all right. So the first question is this. Uh, it's a busy world these days. How do you find the time to read? Mm. It is hard to find the time to read. Um, I typically do my reading at night or some early in the morning when I know I can have peace and quiet. Right. But because I work in education, now I have kids read to me a lot right Um, right. so I have um, school books like for example right now uh, we have an initiative at our school where Mm -hmm. everybody in the entire school is reading the same book it's the story of Winn-Dixie the story of Winn-Dixie yes it's about a dog oh okay I thought you meant the grocery store yes exactly (laughs) really yes (laughs) they the dog was found in Winn-Dixie Oh, okay. And it's a great read. It's a great read for K-5 kids. And it's a book that what we've done is we gave every family a book right. to read. And we do a chapter a night. Mm-hmm. And the chapters are only three to four pages. Right. So um, so we're, we have that initiative. Matter of fact, I think we're ending up this week when we go back to school. But we've read that book every day. Every mm-hmm. night I've tried to read. I'm a little behind everybody else. Oh, shame on you, yes. Mr. Bull. So, yeah. But with the story of Winn-Dixie is a great story. <laughs> yes. I mean, if they had the fortunate <laughs> occasion to listen to the podcast. So, hey, go ahead. Um, but typically, my my time to read is, is early in the morning or at night. Right, mm-hmm. right. So I can at least try to get 30 to 45 minutes in before I crash. Right, right. So. Yeah, I'm sure dealing with all those little... Young kids, you're pretty tired at the end of the day. Well, the kids are fine. Two of them tucker me out. It, oh, is me. it the adults who, who tire yeah, you out? Yeah, it's the adults who tire you out. So. Don't don't name any names. Mm-hmm. I won't. All right, all right. So the second mm. question is, uh, how do you decide what to read? And, and I guess you answered that a little bit there. Um, well, I guess I, I'm I've, right now I'm reading a lot of educational books you know just because I trade trade stuff, yeah like. because I'm interested in this elementary level and there's so much to go along with it but from a leadership perspective you want to understand what best resources to use what the new techniques new methods are out because you got to stay on top of your game right for one. Right. and so I'm forever reading we have um, a little magazine national magazine called Ed Leadership mm-hmm. that's that's really good um, 
we always have some we have some prominent authors that are leading um, innovators in the educational realm and so they always have books out um, that help leaders right. school leaders prepare for um, guiding their school mm-hmm. and so every almost every every three to four months there's a new book that's out that I try to read and catch up so right now I am I'm a little behind to tell you the truth man because it's just been so hectic right um, but definitely trade books education um, I did read one book that was just totally out of the ways um, total nonfiction book um, Michael Bazden is an author he's a black author mm-hmm. um, who used to have a, a radio he was a DJ and he he yeah. lost his radio vaguely familiar mm-hmm. with him. what, what happened he used to have an afternoon show? radio show right and he, he was here in Raleigh off of 90 no it wasn't 97.5 it was the 107.4 or 104.4 something like that right right yeah his name sounds super yeah, familiar yeah he's a, I he's a good guy on the radio. he's a um, he's a motivator speaker he's a DJ he's written a couple books and you know he wrote this. He wrote this book called "Men Cry in the Dark," oh. and and it was very neat. Now, a fiction story about four four brothers, now four men that grew up together uh-huh. um, in school, and how they evolved. They graduated, and they went on their career path. And of course, everybody was good. You know, everybody was 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 well off. You know, he was a, a DJ. He played his own self like a. He was a um, a magazine editor. And he was growing his magazine, so he was traveling, trying to get sponsorships. And he had some guys that were in, in the concrete, I mean, um, construction business and this and that. So it was a great story to talk about, you know, how black men lead their lives. Right. And, and right. it was just something for me to just, you know, take the edge off because I enjoy reading that, you know. Right. In between, like, reading it at the Y at home every time I had a couple minutes man I was on it right and so um, but I I just finished that probably a month ago Mm -hmm. Um, it took me about a month to read it because of the time yeah oh man you're preaching to the choir lately it takes me way too long to read everything you know so 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 when you think about that I love the educational reads I love reading our little the elementary books Uh you know there's so many I have my teachers like do you remember reading this book when you were in elementary school? I'm like, do you know how old I am? No, I don't remember reading these books. Oh, but these books like that, we probably read, right, but right. we just forgot about it. Yeah, they come back to me now. Like as, as, I, as I read them to hold in or mm-hmm. as, as I see them again, it, you know, like oftentimes a, a memory of having encountered yeah, them will, yeah, yeah. will return. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, these books are great. And, and the, my day is made when I, I know my struggling readers in uh-huh. the school. And they come, and they'll come and find, Mr. Bowman, can I read? Can I read to you? And I will get them, and they would read to me, and it is awesome. And those kids are so happy. Right. They're so happy that they read the book, and I'm high-fiving them, and I'm just doing all of this. It's making them feel good, because that's what we want. I mean, right, we, we, right. we need those I'm sure that's a good feeling. Yeah. And so that it motivates me to make sure that, okay, I'm reading too. Yeah. Because it, it's, it's important. Right. So you got to model. If you want, if you want the kids to do it, they got to see you doing it. Right. And so right. if they see you doing it and they understand it, then they're going to do it. Yeah. Especially at this level. Right. So. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. When they still want to emulate you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> when they, we don't want to take. Before they throw the shackles off. Yeah. 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 Exactly. We don't want to drive them away from reading. Right. Three. So. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, we'll move on to the third question, which Ooh. is. Uh, moving fast. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it moves pretty fast, but, um, you know. <laughs> it's because you because you're passionate about about uh, yes. you know, about reading even more than I knew. So, um, third question is: Tell me a little bit about books as objects. Uh, do you prefer paper, or digital? Uh, how many books you have around your house or in storage, wherever mm. you happen to keep them? Mm. Um, so, so tell me about that. All right. So first, objects. I'm beginning to like books electronically, mm-hmm. um, just because. I carry so many books with me, folders and this and that, that I run out of space. Right. But right. if I have it on my iPad, then I can just carry it one spot and I'm good. Right. So um, right now I'm doing both. I have I have a couple books that I'm reading that are print, mm-hmm. hard copies, and then Jalen and I are reading The Seven Habits 
of successful people. Yeah, uh, Stephen Covey, yes. Seven Habits of Highly Successful yes. People. And um, yeah, and and so, but that's on the iPad. Right. I can deal with it. Jalen hates it. He hates reading on the iPad. Yes. yes. Way to go, Jalen. Yes. He hates Stand reading up for on the, the old ways. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, but you know what? Guaranteed in two years, there won't be a hard copy textbook in a North Carolina school. Guaranteed. Really? Because really? it costs too much money to buy textbooks. Right. And then in four years. So is it stuff. cheaper to give every kid an iPad? Not an iPad, but a Chromebook that costs Chrome, $250. Oh, right, the Google Chromebook. Now, is it going to be in, a, in some sort of tablet form, though? Or, or I mean, or are you going to expect them to read from a, a laptop-type format? They can read in tablet form. They can use. They can create the theme of how they read. Right. Um, right now the textbook companies are adapting their text so they may offer like a paperback book or a workbook but the majority of the information is online so kids can go and actually it's not like reading page for page but you can open here's chapter one and here are key concepts here's key vocabulary and summary statements that that, that may appear in a powerpoint Right. So right. it highlights that deal. Yeah. And then it's up for the teacher to try to create that lesson and engage those students with the um, with the work they need, with the key right. concepts. Now, can I interject here? Because I think, like, if, if we're moving toward that, I think the the importance and the significance of, of the traditional book and the and the form of the book mm-hmm. should also be stressed and preserved. Because I, I don't know what it is. I mean, maybe you know, I'm just such an acolyte. But I I just feel like that there's something yeah. valuable to be gained in, in holding well, books, in in, in loving right. books. So, and we still teach that, but at the younger ages, in kindergartners, kindergartners have to do what we call it informational text, literary text. Mm-hmm. So they need to be able to point out and describe what the title and where the title of the book is, right. to understand chapters, you know, the format, the setup of the book, the page numbers. We're still teaching them how to turn the book. They still have to identify um, the sentence structure right. from okay. all of that. And see, There's a, a fiction book by Walter Mosley where he talks about, I mean, and this he wrote this in the 90s. But he talked about where as computers became more prominent mm-hmm. and, and, you know, as digital reading became more prominent, mm-hmm. it got to the point where, you know, the interactivity became so much. And, and you know, this was all speculative science yeah, fiction, yeah. but the interactivity became so much that there were only a few people left who actually knew how to read, you know, and uh, yes. the yes. other people were doing like some some. You know, yeah, doing the mutated, for lack of a, a better word, form of reading right. where the computer was doing all the work. Right. You know, right. it's like so many, so many of us, you know, don't do math anymore. We just pull out our calculator. And, and trust me, you have more people that have your view versus this new view because they understand that this is a fundamental principle that everyone needs to know. Right. They need to understand how a book feels. From when the EMP comes and turns off the yeah, power out. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, it's, it's an argument that is still consistent mm-hmm. um, with this. Now, the problem with the new technology or going to like what we call ebooks right. is we haven't taught our students on how to decipher ebooks. Whereas they know how to decipher like diagramming. You remember diagramming sentences? Right. Okay. Right. Do how can ever. you do that with an ebook now? Mrs. Ebron. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> at uh, Hallsboro High School, she was my sentence diagramming guru, yeah. and she could diagram Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> so you realize that when did you? What was diagramming? What grade level do you remember doing? Uh, I want to say it was high school, eighth, ninth grade, maybe. Okay. Seventh, eighth grade, somewhere between the seventh and the ninth grade was when, when uh, I think we were heavy into diagramming. So that's pushed down now to elementary school. Wow. I mean, basically, where kids, before they leave second grade, mm-hmm. they have to be able to understand what a capital letter is, like where, when to put a capital letter, right. when to start a sentence, to be able to put a period at the end of the sentence. They have to be able to identify what's the subject what's the verb right you know so you know it's it's a lot of demands that the state has put on public education I mean for the most part if if your kid has not had some form of instruction before kindergarten mm-hmm. by the time they enter kindergarten they're they won their behind right really wow. because 
identifying letters, uh-huh. then being able to, I mean, to write the letter, identify, identify, write, and point out. That's important. And right. that, those are things that the state says, look, kids will have this or else we can't move them to the next grade level. Right. And so, you know, those days are I'll just wait till we put them in kindergarten and they're going to get out with that. No. Yeah. So, so know, if, you, if you haven't done that, they're, you're yeah. putting your kid at a yeah. or severe disadvantage. Yeah. you got to be working with them at home. I mean, if they're not in daycare or, you know, some type of structured environment where they are doing some type of learning, right? Um, they're going to struggle right off the bat. And, and parents are going to get frustrated because they're going to say, well, I can't do it because I'm working. And that's not the answer. <laughs> right. So, make it so, happen. Huh? Yeah, you got to make it happen. I mean, you got a kid, you know, this is something that whether you agree to or not, it's here. So now you got to put forth a sacrifice to get it done. We can't, as educators in the school, can't do it all. Right. I mean, there's a lot. We have these kids for six, sometimes seven hours a day. But that's all. And when right. they go home, they know their environment. And they're and where they and they have to fend. And so if there's no reading, then they don't read. Right. And you, you cannot depend on the school to make up that gap. Because right. kids won't do it. Right. So I get I mean, can't do it. it I mean can. that's a lot to do. Right. With with so much else to do yeah. as well. Yeah. So So you got me. So that's my I, I prefer <laughs> either or right now. Um, either or. Either or. But I'm, I'm, if 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 I have, if you give me a choice, I'm gonna probably choose digital. Right. right. To read. Okay. 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 Um, wow, I have a lot of books. I have books. On my bookshelf. I don't have half as many books as you though. All of my books are reference books or. Your house won't burn as fast. If, no, if my house won't burn as fast. <laughs> but I, I've um. Knock on wood, but not literally. No. No. Yeah, I have a good number of books. And actually, I haven't been through my books in a while. Yeah, are they are a lot of them in storage? Well, no, I took everything out of storage, so they're in boxes at the house. Right. Um, on my shelf, or in my two offices, in my two schools. Right. In between. So, you know, I have to be careful how I set things up, because I, wrote, I bring them between. I need books between the two schools, and so, you know, I have a little book bag. Right. Of stuff I care from school Has to school. Has to go, yeah, so, wherever you are, that, that stuff comes with you, huh? Right, right, right. I so, got you. Um, so I hold those books like that. Um, what else? That was it, right? Yeah, that's it. We'll call it, we'll call it good for that question. Yeah. So two questions left. Um, the penultimate question is, uh, what, how, how does it go here? Um, what uh, are you reading? No, no. How can I not know these questions? <laughs> so, what's your favorite book of all time? That's the uh, oh, second wow. to last question. Mm. My favorite book of all time. It's hard to say. Um, I probably I have several. I cannot say just one, unfortunately. And, uh, most most people can't, uh, myself included. I've, I discovered. I tell you what, I read the story of Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. Great read. Great read. Um, now, is that his autobiography yes. or his autobiography? Um, and actually, I did audio books on it. That's that's acceptable. So sort of. in my car, <laughs> marking the deal, listening to um, oh my goodness, he died. Oh, what was the guy that played in School Days? Him and his his wife was Ruby D. Oh yeah, I see Davis. I right? see Davis. Yeah. I, I see Davis. Read. Oh, he he. Yeah, read Muhammad um, Ali's words. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure um, that was pretty powerful. It was. It was. His voice is amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And you know, I, listening to a book, you don't always get a good meaning, but I got every bit of that book. Right. Listening to it, and it was peace and quiet because I was it was in the car so that time you know I did, was doing a lot of driving right so it was perfect time I could get 30 minutes in at a time and so that was a great read it wasn't what I expected at all how um, not well understanding that you know Muhammad Ali his conversion from um, whatever the religion I, I guess he was a Christian yeah, and then he converted to Islam to Islam but he understood the principles to being a man 
And that's the biggest thing I got from that. Through everything that he did, it was laid out that it was for his family. He put his family first. Mm -hmm. And he cared for his family. He provided for his family. I mean, he had several families, you know, but not any of them, you know, had a need. Right. He provided everything for them, Uh you know. And he stride himself. And he set standards. He talked about the principles of being a man, you know, how you have to be the head of your household and how you have to have goals and you have to be focused and determined to meet those goals if you want to see success. And understanding there's going to be failure along the way, but that failure should make you stronger because you should understand it and keep pressing forward. Right. And so the book, you know, it talked more about those principles rather than okay the rumble in the jungle in mm-hmm. the jungle mm-hmm. you know and, you know it, all that was documented in other places yeah though, you yeah. know so. so I found this one to be very powerful for me um, so I, I really enjoyed that one right um, and tell you the truth I enjoyed um, Malcolm X yeah, I w- it's funny because I, I, when when you mentioned his autobiography, I remember uh, when you read the autobiography of Malcolm X because Spike Lee produced the movie and your mom wouldn't let you go see the movie <laughs> until you read the book. Yep, yep. Way to go, Deborah K. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> So, you know, and that, but you know what? When you think about that, he, at that time, gave a lot of perspective about the world in general. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not always black and white. Um, there's some there's some ulterior motives, but you still have to stand strong for your for your principles, and and it's very similar. But that that's a good read. Um, man, I can remember. Yeah, I read that. It took me a whole summer to read that book. Yeah, um, it was a big book. I mean, it's, it was, it's pretty thick. It was, I mean, he, he lived a lot in, he in the short time he was here. He did. He did. So. Very powerful. And and I tell you, the bi- the biggest thing that I gained out of both of those books is is setting the standard. You know, being able to map a standard for me mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm I've learned for myself that I am a concrete guy you know I need to be able to see it touch it feel it right type scenario uh-huh. and, and I you know I look for guide guides on pathways and then being able to take those things and apply it you know to myself to my life and how I need to raise my son how I need to be able to set a legacy uh-huh. and it's never ended because you still have to you have prominent men like Muhammad Ali Malcolm X but ultimately they've gotten all of their guidance from the Bible right you know and that's kind of where you should turn and what happens is, is everybody has their interpretation uh-huh. of what the Bible says you should do this and that. I mean, no matter who you talk to, you know, whether it was my grandfather, my grandmother, you know, or a, a priest or whatnot, you can look at the same Bible verse and everybody get different meanings out of it. Right, right. You know, sort of as it should be, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. Because each of us has, your you know. different view. Diff- right, So, yeah. And it's, like you said, it's nothing wrong with it, but, you know, it's nice to be able to see how people laid out their steps uh-huh. to provide their legacy or to, to produce their legacy right and really figure out how to produce mine you know yeah. I feel like after all of my marital woes <laughs> I feel like this is a good fresh start for us and so I'm, I'm feeling good about my next 20 years you know, knock on wood that I'm going to see the next 20 years but right. I feel good right. about what I'm trying to do for my sons to lay down you know, a pathway for them that they can be supported, uh, that they can see what dad's doing and do the same thing for them. Right. You right. know, for their life. Yeah. So, and um, their sons, hopefully. Yeah. And daughters. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so right, the Kat. most important part is just laying that foundation and making sure that it's solid, it's set. I want something that, you know, I want them to say, man, my dad used to do this. You know, I'm not, they have, I'm, you know, I wasn't around for them to be like that. And now I have Jalen. You know, I, I, he tells folks, oh, my dad does this, or my dad doesn't like that. And, you know, that right. makes me feel kind of proud because, sure, you know, sure. folks stand up. You know, they listen. And I'm, I guess now I'm in a position, young kids listen. 
and now they, they want to be, they want to come to the house and hang out with Jalen and see what I am, but you, you, you leave a legacy. Right, you know right. I mean? Yeah, whether, whether, it's good. whether it's one that you want to leave or, or not. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but you, you determine. Yeah, yeah. You determine. It, it's, it'll be here, though. Mm-hmm. So you might as well make it what you want it to be. Exactly, exactly. So Sweet. All right, well, final question. Um, mm-hmm. What are you reading right now? We, we probably already covered that, but let's. Uh, is, is there anything in particular oh, yeah. that you're reading right now that, oh, yeah. that uh, yeah, yeah. really speaks um, to you? Very neat. We're reading at my, okay, so I told you at one elementary school, we're doing a whole one book, one school initiative. Right, Winn Dixie. Well, at my other school, we're reading. Uh, actually, no, I take it back. At this school too, mm-hmm. we're reading um, a book that's called "Leader in Me." The Leader in Me. Yes. Okay. And it's based on uh, Stephen Covey's. So, there's a school. Matter of fact, there's a school here in Raleigh, A.B. Combs Elementary. I think that might be over near um, Kim and Mac. Maybe. Is it like near downtown? Yeah. Off Hillsboro, yeah, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, we passed through the other day. Well, they have made national news, national stardom, because this school adopted the Leader in Me mm-hmm. principles. Right. And it's based off the Seven Habits. Okay. And so they wrote a book about it. And The school you know, wrote a book about it? No, the, the authors. Oh, um, of, of the Leader in Me. Yeah, wrote a story about it. Okay. And, and they have the school in it is leadership and so that's kind of the model right. that we're following but it talks about the seven habits and what we're doing is teaching the kids the seven habits mm-hmm. and how that caters to their character traits um, their academic you know what's it like to be be proactive um, what's the win-win you know look for win-win sharpen your saw all of those things we're teaching so um, there's certain levels that we teach at each grade level so mm-hmm. I'm reading that. It's very fascinating to see how basically the school has turned the kids into leaders. You know, the, the students do it all. You know, like greeters in the morning, as visitors come in, or even as students come in, they're greeting in the morning. Um, you have buddies, peer buddies, so you may have fifth graders that come to the kindergarten class right. and read to the kids or have those kindergartners read to them. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I, I can imagine that's powerful from just, you know, from having children. I mean, whenever you have a, a child, you know, who's an only child or, or you have like the eldest child mm-hmm. and then you have the younger children who come along, like, the younger children just pick up everything so much faster. And I think it's because they see someone who, who isn't an adult, you mm-hmm. know, doing Ooh. the things that they... You know, yeah, you know, yeah. like I can do that. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. It's very, it's very moving when you say that. And, right. and so, we are trying to create that. You know, it's it's a, it's going to be probably a two three year process to get that in place because mm-hmm. you got to train everybody. You got to train the adults first. But once you train the adults, we set the stage because we're going to set the, the culture, the environment, the atmosphere, and put those kids. Like we're doing it already. We're just not listing as such. Right. So it's just bringing that out more, bringing that out more to the kids. I mean, giving them that exposure time. So The Leader in Me is a great book I'm reading right now. So between The Leader in Me, Winn-Dixie, um, Blood River, I got a, I'm sorry, I'm left it out. So I got a boys group uh-huh. um, at my other elementary school, some fifth grade boys that we've been trying to engage in reading. Right. So this Blood River is a story about Jamestown and the colonies, the settlement right. in Virginia. Mm-hmm. So hopefully um, it's, it's, it's violent for the kids. I mean, they actually talk about the fights, like the ship, the, the, um, the journey from England to the Virginia coast right, right, and how these servant boys had to relate when they were at the bottom of the ship and they have to sit there with the food that's rotten and the rats and everything and right. the kids are fighting one another and, and, and then they talk about the fights between the settlers and the Indians and so the kids like that. This group right. was like, yeah, they, they're I mean, engaged because yeah, they're like, oh, let's see who gets up today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but it's also a good story because it's very... Uh, reflectful for what's going on today with them in the classes. Right. Excuse me. Yeah. So, I forgot. Blood River, and it's all about the story of Jamestown, the leader in me, Winn-Dixie, and the Seven Habits. (laughs) Yeah. How long did you say you've been reading that magazine? Men's Health. Yeah. Yeah, The the last month. Yeah. Yeah. So, there's a lot. 
you know, it's just being disciplined. So I got a lot of reads right now that yeah. I'm trying to, to tackle. Same here, man. Uh, mm-hmm. I, hopefully I can get everything finished up before long. Well, I know you can. <laughs> you yeah. can handle it. All right, man. Well, that's, uh, that's, that's about a wrap. Um, so I know you have yeah. some... some Turkey to fry, and uh, well, we gotta go find it first. We don't sign it, find it. We might not be frying it. Yeah, well, yeah. we'll find it. We'll find yeah. it. And, uh, well, we'll do Thanksgiving dinner yet again today. Is this no, day right? three of Thanksgiving dinner? Or day this two? is day three, Thursday, <laughs> Friday, yeah, Saturday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm most looking forward to it. It's been good so far. Hopefully, the well, trip will continue. I can tell you, bro, this is awesome that you're doing. You are my hero. You know that. <laughs> I am right. so proud of you. Well, More so the, than you know. That's the end, folks. <laughs> <laughs> We'll see you. Uh, we'll see you in the next segment. Oh Bye-bye. my goodness! The Coup by John Updike. Does there not pass over a man a space of time when his life is blank? The Quran. Surah 76 The Coup 1. My country of Kush, landlocked between the mongolized neo-capitalist puppet states of Zanj and Sahel, is small for Africa, though larger than any two nations of Europe. Its northern half is Saharan, in the south, forming the one boundary not drawn by a Frenchman's ruler, a single river flows, the Griand, making possible a meager, settled agriculture. Peanuts constitute the principal export crop. The doughty legumes are shelled by the ton and crushed by village women in immemorial mortars or else by antiquated presses manufactured in lions. Then, The barreled oil is caravaned by camelback and treacherous truck to Dakar, where it is shipped to Marseille to become the basis of heavily perfumed and erotically contoured soaps, designed not for my naturally fragrant and affectionate countrymen, but for the antiseptic lavatories of America. America, that fountainhead of obscenity and glut. Our peanut oil travels westward, the same distance as eastward our ancestors plotted, their neck shackles chafing down to the jugular in the care of Arab traders to find from the flesh markets of Zanzibar eventual lodging in the harems and palace guards of Persia and Chinese Turkestan. Thus Kush spreads its transparent wings across the world. The ocean of desert between the northern border and the Mediterranean littoral once knew a trickling traffic in salt for gold, weight for weight. Now this void is disturbed only by Swedish playboys fleeing cold boredom in Volvos that soon forfeit their seven coats of paint to the rasp of sand and the roar of their engines to the omnivorous howl of the harmaton. They are skeletons before their batteries die. Would that Allah had so disposed of all infidel intruders. To the south, beyond the Griand, there is forest, nakedness, animals, fever, chaos. It bears no looking into. Whenever a Kushite ventures into this region, he is stricken with malastomac. Kush is a land of delicate, delectable emptiness, named for a vanished kingdom, the progeny of Kush, son of Ham, grandson of Noah. Their royalty, ousted from the upper Nile in the fourth century by the Christian hordes of Axum, retreated from Moreau, fabled home of iron, into the wastes of Kordofan and Darfur, and farther westward still, pursued by dust devils along the parched savannah, erecting red cities soon indistinguishable from the rocks until their empty shattered name, a shard of grandeur, 
was salvaged by our, our Revolutionary Council in 1968, and replacing the hated designation of Noir was bestowed upon this hollow, starving nation as many miles as years removed from the original Kush, itself an echo. Africa held up a black mirror to pharaonic Egypt, and the image was Kush. The capital is Istiklal, renamed in 1960 upon independence and on prior maps called Kaleville in honor of the trans-Saharan traveler of 1828 who daubed his face brown, learned pidgin Arabic, and achieved European celebrity by smuggling himself into a caravan from Timbuktu to Fez and doing what hundreds of unsung Berbers had been doing for centuries, maligning them as brutes, even while he basked in the loud afterglow of their gullible hospitality. Previous to French organization of the territory of Noir in 1905, checking a British thrust arising in the Sudan, the area on both sides of the river had been known vaguely as Wanjiji, an Arab trading town, Al-Abid, much shrunken from its former glory, huddles behind the vast white and green Palais de Ministrons de Noir, modeled on the Louvre and now used in its various wings as offices for the present government, a people's museum of imperialist atrocities a girls' high school dedicated to the extirpation of the influences of Christian mission education, and a prison for the politically aberrant. In area, Kush measures 126,912-180 hectares. The population density comes to 0 0.03 per hectare. In the vast north, it is virtually immeasurable. The distant, glimpsed figure blends with the land as the blue hawk blends with the sky. There are 22 miles of railroad and 107 of paved highway. Our national airline, Air Kush, consists of two Boeing 727s, stunning as they glitter above the also glittering tin shacks by the airfield. In addition to peanuts are grown millet, sorghum, cotton, yams, dates, tobacco, and indigo. The acacia trees yield some marketable gum Arabic. The natives extract ingenious benefits from the baobab tree, weaving mats from its fibrous heart, ropes from its inner bark, brewing porridge and glue and a diaphoretic for dysentery from the pulp of its fruit, turning the elongated shells into water scoops sucking the acidic and refreshing seeds and even boiling the leaves in desperate times into a kind of spinach. Winter times not desperate. Goats eat the little baobab trees so there are only old giants. The herds of livestock maintained by the tribes of pastoral nomads have been dreadfully depleted by the drought. The last elephant north of the Grian gave up its life and its ivory in 1959 with a bellow that still reverberates. The two babs took the big ears with them, is the popular saying. Both Sahel and Zanj possess quantities of bauxite, manganese, and other exploitable minerals. But aside from a streak of sulfur high in the Bulub Mountains, the only known mineral deposit in Kush is the laterite that renders great tracts of earth unerable. I am copying these facts from an old statesman's yearbook freely here while I sit in the sight of the sea, so some of them might be obsolete. In the north, there were once cities of salt populated by slaves who bred and worshipped and died amid the incessant cruel glisten. These mining settlements, supervised by the blue-clad Tuareg, are mere memories now. But even memory thins in this land, which suggests on the map an angular skull whose cranium is the empty desert. Along the low, irregular line of the jaw, carved by the wandering brown river, there was a king, the lord of Wanjiji, 
whose physical body was a facet of God so radiant that a curtain of gold flakes protected the eyes of those entertained in audience from his glory. And this king, restored to the throne as a constitutional monarch in the wake of the Lo Cadre of 1956 and compelled to abdicate after the revolution of 1968, has been all but forgotten. Conquerors and governments pass before the people as dim rumors, as entertainment in a hospital ward. Truly, mercy is interwoven with misery in the world, wherever we glance. Among the natural resources of Kush, perhaps should be listed our diseases, an ample treasury which includes, besides famine and its edema and kwashiorkor, malaria, typhus, yellow fever, sleeping sickness, leprosy, bilharziasis, onchoceriasis, measles, and yaws. And these are combated by the genius of science. Human life itself becomes a disease of the overworked, eroded earth. The average life expectancy in Kush is 37 years. The per capita gross national product, $79. The literacy rate, 6%. The official currency is the Lu. The flag is a plain green field. The form of government is a constitutional monarchy with the constitution suspended and the monarch deposed. An 11-man Supreme Council Revolutionnaire et Militaire Polomergence serves as the executive arm of the government and also functions as its legislature. The pure and final socialism envisioned by Marx, the theocratic populism of Islam's periodic reform movements, these transcendent models guide the council in all decisions. SCRME's chairman and the commander-in-chief of the armed forces, minister of national defense, and president of Kush was, is, the statesman's yearbook has it, Colonel Hakim Felix Elalu, that is to say, myself. Yet a soldier's disciplined self-effacement, my Cartesian schooling, and the African's traditional abjuration of ego all constrain this account to keep to the third person. There are two selves, the one who acts and the I who experiences. This latter is passive, even in a whirlwind of the former's making, passive and guiltless and astonished. The historical performer bearing the name of Elalu was no less mysterious to me than to the American press, wherein he was never presented save snidely, and wherein his fall was celebrated with a veritable minstrelsy of anti-Negro, anti-Arab cartoons. In the same spirit, the beer-crazed mob of American boobs cheers on any autumnal Saturday or Sunday the crunched leg of the unhomed team left tackle as he is stretchered off the field. Elalu's body and career carried me here, there, and I never knew why, but submitted. So, such marks the end of another episode of It's In A Book. Thanks for dropping by. Uh, hopefully you really enjoyed the interview with my older brother, Kiba. I certainly did. He has always been one of my heroes, and of course he, uh, he continues to be. Um, we will see you again, hopefully in a fortnight. We'll do this one more time before uh, the Christmas holiday, or maybe it'll, it'll probably be just after the Christmas holiday. <laughs> um, maybe you heard Holden saying, yeah, in the background. So I think he, he, he'd like to do it before Christmas. Um, hopefully you'll stick around to hear my buddy and I uh, rap for a few seconds. Uh, um, once again, I apologize for Kiva that I let that get in the way of getting this podcast published. But it is here now. So uh, so check it out. Or I guess you just did. Um, go Get the Coup by, uh, by Updike. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful book. It's, it's very... Very, very funny. Uh, uh, he really tackles the, the whole question of uh, 
you know, Elalu with the, the sort of wry, detached humor that, that makes for a really wonderful read. Um, so, we'll see you back in Fortnite. It's in a book. <laughs> bye bye. Just kind of checking out the levels here. Say something. Testing, testing. One, two, one, two. Testing, Sweet. testing. Don't don't even worry about like speaking into the mic. It, where it is right now is positioned perfectly, so you can just sit up and talk. Okay. Cool. cool. All right. Good to go.
what's going on y'all it's the SCI to the FI science fiction broadcasting live with my man Nicolay and you are now listening to the sounds of the city the city the city the city, the city.